Welcome, friends, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I am your host, Eric Fredrickson. Before we jump into this powerful podcast today, we just want to make sure you're aware of a long list of powerful resources that are completely free through our website. Jump on the website, recoveringreality.com, get a free ebook, 13 pages, filled with over two dozen media links, tons of questions and insights to help you get you thinking different, encouraged, and full of hope. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It has over 60 recovery-based videos on there to fill you with encouragement and hope. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast here yet, make sure you do that and go through the library and check out over 80 podcasts that can fill your mind with hope and encouragement for your recovery. Thanks for joining, guys. Enjoy the podcast. My, my wife and I love Jesus. This is my wife back here. Um, and he, he's called the healer for a reason. And I don't believe that God sends sickness to teach people lessons. I don't believe it for one second. Um, some people might disagree, and we can agree to disagree, but I never, Jesus, it says, is the exact representation of the Father in Hebrews 1.3, and I never saw Jesus give anybody sickness. All I saw was Jesus take it away. Yeah. And if we have a Father sending sickness, and then He sends His Son to take care of it, we have a divided house. And Jesus Himself said a divided house cannot stand. Amen. John 10.10 says that the enemy is the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I have bring to bring life and life more abundantly. Can God teach us something with sickness? Sure, but that doesn't mean he caused it or gave it. He can teach us something with any. He, he's not an egomaniac. He doesn't need to send a problem to prove to us he can solve it. He's much better than that. So I just say that to say we, we've had the privilege of seeing Jesus do a lot of amazing things. And um, I like to put it like this. We just get to be the donkey that carries in the king but uh we're gonna we're gonna pray for healing in the room real quick not well we'll, we'll just see what time do i need to be done by tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> we'll keep it under four hours no I'm um so we're gonna pray the the, the pastor any leaders my wife and i we want to pray because it's always a good time for Jesus to be who he says he is. <laughs> there was no time anybody can show me in scripture where Jesus said, sorry, I'm, God's teaching you a lesson. I can't, pray, I, I can't do it right now. You haven't learned your lesson. You can't find that anywhere in any four gospels at all. Every single time he did what it is he came to do, which was set the captives free. So we want to pray, believing that he is exactly who he says he is. <laughs> Anybody else in agreement? Yeah. All right, we're in the right spot. So let's just do this. Um, if you need healing or if you have pain in your body right now, would you please just stand up? If you cannot stand, raise, raise your hand. Go ahead. Anybody, if you need healing in your body, just raise your hand or go ahead and stand up. And we can wait because I know there's people. <laughs> I felt like one thing, God wanted to heal someone that might have some trouble with the shoulder. I also felt like, uh, there we go. 
I'll, I'll wait. I know there's more than one. <laughs> All right. Who is it that gets trouble with their shoulder? Who is that? Right back here. Is it hurting right now? Okay. Okay, we're just, um, if you guys are around him and you believe, and you believe Jesus is who he says he is, <laughs> would, you, would you pray with me for these people? Because I believe Jesus. We need some over here. Uh-huh. So if you're close. Yep, we got a couple of young ladies right here standing, and some young ladies right here that are standing. If you want to, if you guys want to help us, we're going to pray for a minute here. We're just going to let Jesus do what he, uh, what only he can do. So Father, we just thank you that you are so serious about seeing healing that you sent your son to pay for all sin and all sickness. And we just say right now in Jesus' name, we just agree with you, Lord, for healing. In our physical bodies, we speak for your any torment or pain to leave now. In Jesus' name. Any affliction coming against us, God, you just... You gave us the privilege of representing your name and taking authority over this. And we speak to it to leave in Jesus' name, Father. And for your freedom and healing. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to chat. After. We're going to ask again at the end. How is your shoulder feeling? Is the pain gone? So it was hurting and now it's gone? That would be the work of Jesus. <laughs> Good job, God. And other people, if we pray for you, and maybe you can't tell right at this moment, um, we're gonna we're gonna chat afterwards, and we're we would love to pray for anybody else. Okay. That's always a good way to start. Every time I I saw the the, the gospel preached. Uh, in the Gospels or in Acts, it was always show and tell or tell and show. It was one of those. It, it came in different orders. Sometimes it was show first and then tell them. Sometimes it was tell and then show them. But it says in the Word too that He confirms His Word with power. Amen. He confirms it. So, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It says in First Corinthians four twenty. So that's always fun. I mean, I tried. I, I looked at everything in the whole world for fun. <laughs> I, I've literally tried everything, and the gospel is the funnest thing I've found so far. I want to tell a little bit about my story. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what's, what's going on in this area. There's a lot of good things, and there's also still quite a problem. Um, and, and then I'm just going to talk about some real practical things we can begin to do in our communities to see... Um, more change come than we think. The, the the practical part that I talk about oftentimes, I think sometimes we want like a really sophisticated 12-page bullet points. We want the article reference. We want the... And that stuff is... In the, it's not there's anything wrong with that. But oftentimes I talk about it and I'm like, how about you just go knock on your neighbor's door and ask if you can pray for him? Well... Hey, take it easy. I'm not, I don't want to do that. 
And some of the times, some of the things that I talk about that I'm seeing happen and the practical points that I'm saying, like the simple things to begin to do, people are like, it's got to be more profound than that. It can't just be as simple as you're saying. And I'm like, no, it is so much of the time. I wish I could tell you that it's, well, I went to 15 years of training in school, you know, and I learned all of the, I've, I've, I've learned a lot and I've been through it myself. And yes, that helps. And I do have multiple certifications for things. And so I'm not throwing all that away. I am an ordained minister and all that is good and helpful. But the bottom line is the bottom line is you can't do anything unless you get involved in it. Getting involved in the actual process and the, the situation and what's going on with people in our communities is, is the vital piece to actually seeing the change come about. So maybe I should tell a joke to start. I don't know any, so all right. So I'm just going to, I'll start here. So um, I came from a very religious home. My family's all Mormon. Um, at the age of 10, we moved from California to Utah. And at the age of 13, I started doing a lot of drugs and a lot of drinking. Um, I never, the, 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 the Mormon religion just never sat with me. I just kind of rebelled against it from the start. People will ask me, you know, like, so what's it like? What was it like being Mormon? And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I'm, I could tell you all about it. I know exactly all the detail of it, but I'm like, I don't know if I ever was. You don't really have a choice when you grow up in it. But when I actually did have a little bit of a choice and some clarity, it was, I, I wanted nothing to do with it. And I rebelled against it in all the wrong ways. It was completely unhealthy and I'm responsible for my own actions. So from the age of, and, and my family is all still very Mormon, good people, good hearts. Um, I have good relationships with my family, but um, the fact remains that uh, it's not the gospel. So at the age of 13, that started, and it was just chaos from the start. Um, I don't know why some people, the second they start drinking, you know, it's immediately drugs and chaos. Um, and some people start drinking maybe when they're in high school and can have a beer or can, you know, not, it doesn't get out of control, but then it, alcoholism kicks in when they're 30 or something. I don't, I, I'm not going to claim to know all of that. There's people smarter than me who study the physiological, you know, reaction to drugs and alcohol. And I've read a lot of it, but I, I, I don't know. But, but this much I know is that there is a, um, all of us experience the friction of the world. All of us experience that stuff and it, how we deal with it internally dictates what we open ourselves up to quite often you know some people you know the internal chaos is so extreme and they're so confused and torment and they're just a stress and all of a sudden they take a drink or get prescribed some sort of pill and take it and it calms the storm and all of a sudden they're like oh well if one calmed it a little bit three ought to calm it more and they are off on the path some people take a couple of drinks and they start feeling a little bit like they're losing control and they hate that feeling and they don't, they don't want to touch it ever again. I don't have all the answers to that, but I know this much that drugs and alcohol is not the answer. Amen. And it will, Amen. it just opens up 
chaos and it opens ourselves up to stuff in the spiritual realm that we just quite often have don't really understand what I think if they if the person understood what they were doing they wouldn't do it they don't understand what they're opening themselves up to um first time I ever drove a car I was 15 years old I was the first time I ever sat behind a driver's seat of a car I was 15 years old I was drunk and I got in a high-speed chase with the police that was the reality of my life um I continued suicide attempt at uh, 18 and an overdose. I think I was like 21, 2021 20, overdose. It continued all the way to the age of 26. It was, uh, I, watched, I watched like over 30 of my friends die. Um, not like right in front of my eyes, but all it was suicide, car accident, overdose, freak accident, all involving drugs and alcohol, all of it. I say 30, that's just a conservative number. It, if I were to really sit down and count with some friends that are still alive uh, from that area, it would probably be far more than that. But that's a number I know for a fact is safe to say. It was, uh, you know, and I grew up in uh, middle class, upper middle class suburbia, where you would drive through this county and you would say, everything's perfect here. Look at this, everyone's, you know, got a decent house and some are bigger than others, but they're nice. They all got their minivan and SUV. They're all at church every week. Everything's perfect here. And in the midst of that, Utah, when during that time was in the top five for worst states in the entire country for like five, six years running. It's gotten better, but it's still a huge problem there too. Um, it's a huge problem everywhere. It's just some places are much worse than others. So we talk about, and the facts are, and some people don't like it, but it is the facts. West Virginia is the worst state in America, and Ohio's number two. That's the, and they base that off of overdose deaths. Um, that's their statistic off of it. And there has been some um, breakthrough and some there has been some very good things happening especially in this area there's a lot of really good people doing a lot of good work but there's still a big problem there's still a big problem and i don't think that we're naive to that it's just so then what do we what do we do right so some of the things that are happening you know, we run a recovery meeting every monday night at a at our church lifeway church um, which is uh, awesome we usually get you know, 15, 20 people, and um, it's awesome being able to pray with people in there and just see God do some pretty awesome stuff. Um, we've been done, we do community events. We did a recovery conference, and we had like over 60 people there. We had to actually turn people away. There were so many people wanted to come. Uh, and that was the, like the first snowstorm of the year, pretty much, for Ohio. So we had a whole bunch of people that didn't even show up because the weather was bad. It's funny, in Utah, you'll get eight inches overnight. They don't shut down one school. <laughs> you know, you get, you get an inch and people are, don't leave their house. You know? <laughs> I, I get it, I get it. But it's, it's just funny to me. <clears throat> but um, we had, you know, it was, the, it was snowing in like one of the first storms. And so I was getting messages the morning of saying a bunch of people weren't coming. We still had over 60 people that showed up for a recovery conference that we did. Um, community events uh, there's just there, there's a lot of uh, 
really awesome things happening. I'm just going to share this one testimony, and then I'm going to get into the Word a little bit, okay? Um, a friend of mine who's now now doing well, I think he's probably by now three months, maybe three months, clean and sober. Um, one night, I'm sitting in the uh, living room with my wife, and I had been talking with my some friends with the couple, um, or I've been talking with my my friend, his wife, and she had been informing me what was going on. He had just relapsed two nights prior. Uh, she found him in a uh, gas station bathroom in Akron, blue, called the police. They came. Uh, she kicked the door down. Police showed up, gave him Narcan, and he's, he's still alive. Um, I'm all for Narcan. Some people are not, and I, I understand all sides. I, I do. I really do. Um, but I got a lot of really good friends who are really, really walking with the Lord in a very powerful way right now, and they are alive because of Narcan. So I understand there's people who, I, I, I won't even get into it, but I, 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 I get it, both sides, okay? But Narcan has saved a lot of people's lives who are now walking with the Lord and living in recovery. I'll also say this, Narcan is not the answer. It's not. It helps people be, be alive a little longer so they can get the answer, but it's not the answer. So they she kicked the door down, police show up, Narcan him. He's uh, alive, barely. Uh, I'm talking to him the next day and for the next few days, and it was, I don't know, less than a week later maybe, something like that, three days, I don't know. She's out of town for work, and she calls me up, and she's panicking because he's not answering, and she knows he's been taking some pills and she's just like can you go over there so it's uh gosh nine o'clock at night it it was nine o'clock at night at least and i was in my pajamas in my living room that's inconvenient (laughs) could you imagine jesus and he's talking to god in the garden he's like look god this whole cross thing pretty inconvenient I'd rather not. He didn't say that. And if he didn't say that to go through that, I think our simple response can be, this is inconvenient right now, but I'm going. Yeah. Now, if, if I were to just say, and every single time anybody calls me, I go, and every phone call, I no, it's not true. Because I, I can't even get to all the emails I get. I, some people mess with me, I'm like, I don't get back to them, I'm like, Look, it's not because I'm ignoring you. I only got so much time in the day, and I actually need a little bit of downtime, too, so I can actually be effective when I'm out there. So for me to get up here and just say, and it's all I do, I respond to everything, I do everything all day long, that's not true either, because we need to spend time with God to be able to be effective out there. And it's not my job to do it all. I'm not going to take that on my shoulders. I'm not at all. It's not my job. It's our job. But I, I do have the privilege of responding to a lot of it, and, and, and it is uh, also my, my work, what I do for a living. So that's good, too. But um, I go over there that night, at, uh, late at night, and I show up, and he, he wasn't overdosing like she had been panicking about, which rightfully so, she was worried. Um, she hadn't been, it wasn't that, he wasn't, you know, but he, he had taken some pills that day, but we sat down and talked, and sat down and I sat down and listened to him. I just listened for about 30 minutes, you know, because I tell people, I'm like, if, if we, so some people are just born in good homes. There was no drugs. There was no alcohol. 
and they found the drugs and alcohol or it found them and they got pulled into it. There's a ton of stories of, you know, the Surgeon General of America right now, he, he, he's talked about it regularly and he makes this point. He says, I'm, my parents had two sons. I'm the Surgeon General of America. My other brother has been in and out of rehab. So who wants to fault my parents? They also raised the Surgeon General. I'm not saying there's not bad parenting and things we can do, okay? That's not the point. I'm saying, I don't know why some people get sucked into it and some, I, I don't have all those answers. I don't know. But what's, what I've seen be most effective is just getting rid of judgment. Just, get, just burn it, just throw it away. Because I've talked to so many people who struggle with, you know, they're, they're in the midst of it, and maybe they're 20 years into a heroin addiction, maybe they're this, maybe, whatever it is, okay? And I sit and I listen, and I hear what really, you know, how, how it opened up for them so often, and they, it was their uncle that gave them whiskey at the age of eight, you know? It was their uncle who helped them put a needle in their arm when they were 12. It was, is that the story with everybody? No, but it's a lot more common than we think. So I just say that it's like when we sit and understand, um, sometimes people just want to be heard. Sometimes, you know, there's that cliche that says like people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, I've seen some truth with that. And, and the more that I make it my mode of operation to say, you know, me sitting down and listening to them and having compassion doesn't mean I'm okay with what they're doing. Jesus sat down with the worst of the worst. He wasn't okay with their actions. He knew that in order for them to really be transformed, they needed to come into a relationship with him. And the only way to establish relationship is to sit and spend time. The only way to, to, to see light shine in the darkness is to go into the darkness. The mess gets cleaned up by taking the message into it. I wish I could say, it's really easy. Here's the checklist. Just do these three things every time and everything will just... No, it's messy. And there's oftentimes I'm in situations where I like, well, this wasn't in any manuscript or manual. What do we do here? <laughs> but it's not, it's my job to just enter in and say, all right, Jesus, I'm here. Let's see you do it. <laughs> it's my job to bring you into the situation. It's your job to fix yeah. this. <laughs> so I'm there talking with him. I listen for about 30 minutes and and then, and then I, I started, and, and I had had some relationship established. We had a rapport, okay? So I listened to start, but then I began saying things real straight and, say, and, and not never talking like this, talking like this, eye to eye, on the same level. And I began saying some things real straight, and he was agreeing. Um, I could get into the detail of it for sake of time. I won't. Uh, eventually, he, he let me pray for him. Now, I've just seen when the power of God shows up, it bypasses or disarms a lot of people's want to debate. <laughs> How do you debate when they were just in pain? You prayed, now they're not. Usually all the stuff just kind of, they're disarmed. They're listening. And so I've, for me over the years, I really like to, it's show and tell or tell and show. One of the two. That's the, that's the gospel. That's, you can't miss it anywhere in the gospels. And 
And so I like to start with show uh, and let Jesus be who he says he is because then it disarms all of this. <laughs> uh, so I, I said, look, man, um, what, do you have anything physically in your body that's giving you trouble? And he said he had a, a knot on his neck and he showed it was like he couldn't even make a finger to accurate. He's like, it's like that. It's been in my neck for years. He said, my back's been killing me for years and he said it's it's the weight of carrying all this during the conversation he told me some things that happened to him some some not good things uh, and we began to pray he forgave this person and began praying to forgive this person then we prayed I think it was three times and a not so big he couldn't even make an accurate description like that disappeared and then his back got completely healed it's really easy to lead someone to the Lord then and then he accepted Jesus. And if I remember everything um, completely accurate, I think for another day or two, he might have he kept using even. Um, but then it was uh, a few days later, maybe, he was in rehab. And he's now, uh, like I said, it's probably three months maybe. Two and a half, three months now being clean and sober. It's not to enter into the situation and be like, ooh, I got this figured out. I've dealt with this before. I know what to say. And I know the, I, I memorized the manual. It's just entering in. Jesus, I'm going to do what you did and just give you an opportunity to be exactly who you say you are. And Jesus does it every time. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read here if you want to open your, your Bibles to John chapter 19. This is from a, a translation called the Passion Translation, so it might not sound the same as the translation you have, um, but I'm going to read John 19, verses 1 through 6, okay? And don't, don't worry, we only got a few more hours, guys, don't worry. I'm kidding. Then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. One of the names they had for that was, the, the name of that time they had for that was called the scorpion. It was like sharded glass and splintered bones, and it was like the gnarliest, most torturous. Most people didn't survive it. They died. They didn't survive it. And The Passion of the Christ, anyone seen that movie? Yeah. It's pretty accurate, um, but no movie could give you a real description of what it was really like. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's gruesome, but it's pretty accurate. But um, chunks of glass and sharded bone and just, I mean, on, on, a, on the end of a whip. And the point of it wasn't to whip you. The point of it was to drive it into your back and yank it out. And it took out chunks of your skin, muscle. That's what Jesus thought about you. That's his thoughts about you. That he would go through that so that you didn't have to. So that you don't have to experience any of that. And the soldiers also wove thorn branches into a crown and set it on his head and placed a purple robe on his shoulders. Anyone ever got poked by a thorn bush? Yep. Just like on your finger? It hurts. Imagine having a crown made and pounded onto your head while you're having chunks ripped out of your back. 
Then one by one they came in front of him to mock him, saying, Hail the king. And one after the other, they repeatedly punched him in the face. Once more, Pilate went out and said to the Jewish officials, I will bring him out once more so that you know that I found nothing wrong with him. So when Jesus emerged bleeding, wearing the purple robe and the crown of thorns on his head, Pilate said to him, Look at him, here's your man. No sooner did the high priests and the temple guards see Jesus that they all shouted in a frenzy, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate replied, You take him and then nail him to a cross yourselves. I told you he's not guilty. I found no reason to condemn him. good to remember that it's really good to remember that because you know when things were the worst in my life I was uh, I thought it was cool to be robbing drug dealers and dealing drugs I thought that was I was like I'm living out the stuff I hear in the rap music look how cool I am and Jesus can, and anybody can say whatever they want about my past I really don't care because he doesn't say anything about it. Amen. It's gone. It's gone. Does that mean when people throw stuff at you, it's like, ooh, that felt good. Do it again. Thank you. Does that mean Jesus sat there and was like, oh, thank you. Hit me one more time. That felt great. No, it doesn't at all. But when you sit and put it in its right perspective, it's... <sighs> people might think or say whatever they want, but guess what? Jesus' word trumps everything. Amen. He doesn't see me as that person anymore. He actually sees me as the righteousness of God. That's ridiculous. That he would take Saul who's murdering and torturing Christians, thinking he's doing it for God, come, knock him off his donkey. It all goes through what he goes through. And then God sees him as though he never did it. It's called good news for a reason. <laughs> and then use him to be the one that writes New Covenant theology. As if he needed to make a bigger statement. I've said this a few times while speaking. I'll say it again. I could imagine the Trinity sitting up there, the Father and Holy Spirit and the Son, and they're like, how are we going to convey the point to them that like we're really good? We're not okay with their actions, but the cross actually, it actually like, it really did erase it. It really did take care of it. How are we going to convey that point to him? I could just imagine one of them pipes up, probably Holy Spirit, because he has way more good ideas than we give him credit for. He's like the forgotten part of the Trinity. Yeah. Probably Holy Spirit, and he says, Ooh, I got an idea, guys. You know that guy who's out there killing all the Christians and torturing them, thinking he's doing it for us? 
let's, let's, let's grab him. Let's radically transform his life. We'll fill him with us, and then we'll use him to get more work done than the rest of the apostles combined. Do you think they'll get the point? Jesus is like, oh, I love it. Can I just appear to him out of nowhere and knock him over? <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> Jesus went through that. In Hebrews, it says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. His mind was locked into what was on the other side. And us entering into this problem, we just we have to be real about what's really okay. So the statistics in America have dropped recently. The overdose rates. A little bit. Like I think it was 2% or 3% maybe last year. Something, something like that. I think it was maybe 5% in Ohio. That might not be a completely accurate. I don't have it here. But it's, it's something like there was a little drop. But... And, and who in here is not for more people living, okay? Like, I'm awesome, okay? But everybody and their dog has Narcan. Is there anyone in here that has Narcan? So I'm not in the right room. We carry it in our car. <laughs> a lot. Many, when you leave jail, they give you a Narcan, okay? Again, I'm not against it. I'm saying, are more people getting clean and sober? Probably a little bit. But there's also thousands and thousands and thousands of people being revived from Narcan. So I don't know if it is the 100% clearest representation because the numbers have dropped a little bit, which I'm 100% for, that it means that the problem's being eradicated. Because I talk, I was in a school the other day talking to the counselor about going in there and speaking in different things. And I'm talking to the counselor at this little rural high school, okay, and she's saying... No, it's probably maybe 50 or 60% of these kids have parents who are on drugs. A very prominent figure in Tuscarawas County. I won't say their name because I, the reason there's two here is because I, I put these on my podcast. Um, went as far as saying of, uh, they, they, it's probably accurate for them to say that 19 out of 20 arrests are meth related. Not 19 out of 20 drug arrests, not 19 out, da, 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 19 out of 20 arrests, period, are meth-related in some way, shape, or form. Meth or the effects of it are involved, okay? I don't say that for any reason to be dogmatic, watch out, oh no, be careful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying we, we, we need to understand the problem's really real. And we have the opportunity in front of us to pretend it's not there, or say, I can't fix it all, but I can do something. I can do something. There's something I can do with the resources, time, energy, connections. There's something I can do to at least be part of this solution in some way, shape, or form. Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? Three people, that's enough. Okay. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus had three that were close, so I think I'm good. All right, so I'm going to read here one more thing, and then I'm going to just share some real practical, simple stuff, okay? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read this from the New King James Version. If you guys want to go there, 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to read through 12 through 21, okay? This is one of my favorite passages um, in all the, the Bible. Uh, there's some, some passages of Scripture that I've reread and reread and reread, and probably I couldn't even tell you how many times. Um, and 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5 is one of those. Uh, Romans 5 through 8 is one of them, and the whole Gospel of John I've read too many times to remember, but John especially, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there's passages of Scripture I've just read probably well over 100 times, and this is one of them. I love it. Um, I'm going to start with verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What are we doing with the gospel? There will be a day when we will realize it literally there's nothing more important. There's going to be a day where our eyes, are, and it may be before we get there, to be honest, where the, you know, some of us get hit with the revelation. It's like, oh, wow. It doesn't mean neglect our responsibilities. It doesn't mean don't. It, it doesn't mean any of that. The, God, the Bible talks about that, too, you know, like work, relationships, family, okay? But there's going to be a time where we realize wholeheartedly and we say there was absolutely nothing more important than Jesus and what he did in the gospel and the, mes the message of it. Nothing more important than that. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now... We know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many people are we supposed to regard according to the flesh? This many. Zero people. Zero. Doesn't mean there's not times where God exposes people's actions. Okay, but he doesn't expose their actions to condemn them. He exposes to grant an invitation into their true identity. There's a big difference. He doesn't come and say, look at you, you little worthless sinner. Don't you know what I did on a cross for you? He comes and he tells them, I'm not okay with what you're doing. But it's being exposed because I'm trying to usher you into the light so you can live in your real identity because the way you're living, that's not who you are anyways. That's not who you are. So how about you take my hand and we walk you over here so you can live in your real identity, free. Join the party. Anyone in Christ is a new creation, brand new. The word creation, I mean, I don't have it here, but um, it means like a 
uh, species or creature or race that's never been seen before on the earth. It means that people look at us and they're like, wow, that's different. <laughs> that's literally part of the definition of the word holy in the Bible. Not the definition, but it's part of the definition of the word holy is that people look at it and they say, huh, that's different. Huh, that's different. Eric, the one that was like one of the biggest problems in this whole community, now all he does is talk about Jesus? Huh, that's different. Huh, that guy who's torturing and murdering Christians, Saul, now they call him Paul, and now he's carrying this message of grace and hope and power? Huh, that's different. Because he's a new creation. Now all things are of God. This is I'm at verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It is clear as day. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and the ministry of reconciliation is that you don't count people's sins against them. This is what it is not saying. It's not saying, well, not counting people's sins against them means you're okay with what they're doing. It's not what it says. It still says, though, that we are not to count people's sins against them. Because if we treat them according to the way that they're in their addiction, their sin, if we treat them according to that, then the way we are seeing them, speaking, and acting towards them actually empowers them to stay in it because we're treating them according to the wrong identity. If we see them for who Christ has made them to be, and we treat them according to how Jesus sees them, our words and our actions and our sight actually begin to walk them into their real identity. How are we seeing people? The Trinity saw Paul when he was still Saul. They saw the Eric that's standing here now when I was still couldn't stay out of jail. And they treated me according to this identity, not that one, this one, and loved me into a space of transformation. Amen. Now, then, everybody say now. now. Then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God trusts us more than we trust ourselves. I don't know about you guys, that's a fascinating thought to me. He entrusts us with the most sacred message in the universe. He's given it to us, you. That's crazy. <laughs> what are we doing with it? Ambassadors of heaven. I'm a new creation. A race of people that the world has never seen. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom. And I have the privilege of representing the king everywhere I go. Just have my, why should I just have my wife come up here and just tell testimonies for like an hour of what she's seen at the gym she goes to in just the last three weeks, two weeks. She just prays for people at the gym constantly. 
We live this way. It's at the gas station. It's at the grocery store. It's a lifestyle. It's yesterday at McDonald's when I stopped to get a coffee. <laughs> my wife comes home and she just prayed for like three people at the gym. Oh my gosh, what are people going to think though? Yeah, exactly. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? They're seeing somebody who's at the gym. Well, you don't pray at the gym. You might not. We do. Jesus does. Seeing somebody at the gym who's there to work out, interrupts their workout, all sweaty, and goes over and lays hands on somebody. Huh, that's different. I'm going to share some, some things here, okay? Some uh, simple stuff. Now, um, I've had the privilege of representing Jesus in a lot of very crazy environments. Uh, and I, I spent probably over a year on the... the uh, the streets of a city called Oceanside, San Diego, when I was living there. I don't know if I mentioned that in my story, but when I got clean and sober, I moved to San Diego for 10 years. Uh, we just moved here almost two years ago. I came out here seven years ago and spoke at a youth conference, and that's how we uh, made friends from Carrollton, of all places. I came from San Diego to Carrollton to speak at a youth conference, <laughs> and uh, we kept, we, we made, I made friends then, and we still have friends then. I came out a few more times, and we ended up moving out here. Um, almost two years ago. And, um, but in the midst of it all, I've had the privilege of on the, the Oceanside's the most northwest city of San Diego County, massive homeless population. Um, I, I would just spend time with them, pray, uh, do all sorts of things. That uh, transformed to some other things. We spent uh, years and still do in some capacity training churches on how to be on the streets and just see how to be, how to not be weird, <laughs> and but actually see Jesus like show up in power and see people healed and saved as a no, and it's normal. That's normal on you know as you go about your day. Um, I was able to. Uh, um, I spent a couple of years going into a city called Tijuana, Mexico, which is the most north, northwest city of the entire country of Mexico. It's just connected to just, it was like a 30 minute drive from where we lived in San Diego. I would go down there a couple of days a week uh, for about two years, um, did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, saw Jesus do what only he can do every single time we went. I was able to do it in like spiritual festivals I won't get into the explanation of it all, but Jesus isn't intimidated by darkness. Um, and I'll explain this one a little bit just because it's a little much for some people. I actually even spent a weekend in the Los Angeles Porn Convention ministering to people all weekend. Jesus set me free from pornography shortly after I stepped into recovery. It has not come back and is not coming back, nor is the other addictions. I'm a new creation. And I was married when I went. And I asked my wife, and she said, I don't know, is Jesus telling you to go? I said, yeah. She said, then go. And I spent the weekend in there, and we saw people healed and saved in 
probably one of, if not the biggest, pornography convention in the world. He's not intimidated by sin. Does that one need more of an explanation? <laughs> I understand it's crazy in our minds to be like, wait, what? You did what? Jesus, we went in with a team of people. Uh, I went in with a team of people of um, one man, and I think it was four or five ladies. All of them had been set free from either being prostitutes or strippers at one point. Now they go back into, they had been to seven or eight of them. I just went to one with them. But they go back in. Yeah, and I had to wear a pink shirt. Yes, I did. This is true. <laughs> they call themselves JC's Girls. And they have this big sign and booth, and it just, the way it's set up, it fits right into everything. And this big sign, JC, and everyone just comes over, and they're going from booth to booth, and everything you think would imagine, everything you could imagine is in there. You can't not see it, it's not possible. But guess what? I'm a new creation. I'm not that person anymore. No, I didn't get tempted. That might be hard for some people. I really didn't. I talked to my wife that night on the phone. And I told her, she said, she said, so did you, was it hard? Did you tempt it all? And I actually had to sit and think about it. And I was like, you know, I didn't actually. I was, that's not why I was there. That's not why I was there. Now, I don't recommend just going and spending a week in there, hanging out, drinking coffee. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I was there for a specific purpose for the weekend with a team of people in ministry that had gone before. Okay. Anyways. I just say that to say I've done, I've been able to do and see Jesus be who he says he is in many different bizarre environments. Okay. And oftentimes I tell people the simplicity of our perspective and going into these environments going into uh, maybe it's just knocking on your neighbor's door. Maybe it's just in this little neighborhood here, somebody, you know, and starting to establish relationship and trying. And I and I give some of the, the, the you know, there's a reason I started by saying Jesus went through this. If if I understand what Jesus went through and then if I'm living in this place of Second Corinthians five twelve through 21, understand understanding what he went through it doesn't matter the environment i'm in it doesn't matter jesus is going to be who he says he is and if my perspective is that i'm not seeing people according to their sin but i'm seeing them according to their value then i've positioned myself for jesus to just do whatever he wants in there come here buddy So, <laughs> come here. Hi, come here. So, can you say hi? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say some things here, okay? That let me let me share this. Oh yeah, sorry, you can't grab that though, okay, buddy? Um, how many of you have heard of a guy named Ed Silvoso? Anybody? really big huge international ministries from south america and what what he does now is um literally like cities will hire him to come in and transform the city now uh, when i was going to tijuana mexico um it was really bad a lot of problems very violent okay um i think if i remember right it was in like um 
it, it was one of the, the most violent cities in Mexico when I was there. Now it's currently the most violent city in the world. It's like six, seven murders a day. Juarez, Mexico, maybe 10 years ago now, was the most violent city in the world. It's a town, if I remember right, it's across the uh, border from El Paso, Texas, if I remember correctly. And it was because of the cartels, it was ranked the most violent city on the planet. They hired this guy and his team um, to come in. And, and what he does is he meets with all the pastors that will come and meet, okay? And any city leaders that will come and meet. And he begins to talk about what it looks like to partner together in prayer and being proactive and seeing darkness lift off of a city. There was more to it than what I'm just going to describe. He did have important meetings. He does have the favor on his life to do these things. God has called him to do it. But this is one of the most basic things that he talked about with all of the pastors and told their congregations. Okay, Mind you, this is the most violent city in the world. Where bodies that are no longer have life in them and laying gruesomely their lives have been taken, laying in the streets, that would happen every day. They would wake up the next day and there would just be, it was a war zone. He went in and what he did, one of the main things that he did, people would be like, well, that's just too simple. One of the main things that he did is, he, first of all, the unity of the church, okay? And then second of all, what he did was he told the pastors to tell their people, assign people in your congregation, assign them each like a street or a block, and their assignment is to every single day, at least once, walk around that block and pray. Could you imagine in this little area right here, if just the people in this room split this city up, I know it's cold outside, okay? Maybe just drive around the block right now for another couple of months. But could you just imagine if every day there was a strategic approach to say, I'm gonna walk around this block right here and pray. And when I say pray, I'm, I'm not talking about begging God, God, please do something. I'm talking about saying, hell, get out of my neighborhood. Get out. Those kind of prayers. Now, you'll probably get some repercussion because the enemy doesn't always like that. But it, he, goes, he, he has to leave. And I'm, so when I say prayer, I mean, when we go through and we're just like, oh, Jesus, please do something. It's like... No, God, I just pray that this every, every single household on this block is healed and whole. God, I pray every single household, on every person on this block has a job and is prosperous. God, I pray every single person on this entire block right here knows you. It's, it's bold prayers. Okay, buddy, go get mama. It's bold prayers of believing that Jesus is going to come and do what only he can do. Does that make sense? Yeah? That's a simple one. Guess what? That city, that city war is Mexico. Is no, it's not even on the list of most violent cities in the world anymore. It's not even on the list. Oh, it's just a coincidence. Right. 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 After he went and met with all the pastors and leaders and implemented simple strategies, that all happened. It's not a coincidence. How many of you know somebody that's struggling? You don't have to raise your hand or you can, whatever. Okay. Every single day, be praying for them. Every single day, even if it's two-minute prayer, prayer, and speak God's will in their life. God's will is that they're free, that they're whole, that they don't have addiction, that they have a job, that they're healthy, right? 
phone call if you know somebody that's struggling. I understand that not every time we try to establish relationship with somebody that's struggling, they're just going to say, oh, I've just been sitting here waiting for you to call. Awesome. Why don't you come over and have a cup of coffee? <laughs> they're two and three. So they might, you might not get the best response from every single person that's struggling. When you, can you, hey, 10 more minutes, buddy, okay? 10 more minutes. No, just one second. Lucas, no, Lucas. No, babe. No, babe. I gotta finish. I'll hold Liam, okay? Welcome to our house every day. So, <laughs> you want to come babysit? The, the intentional pursuit of establishing relationship with people that are struggling. The first five times you ask them if they want to come over for dinner, if they want to have a cup of coffee, if they want to have a phone call, they're probably going to tell you no. They might even call you some names you don't want to hear. I wish I could lie to you and be like, they're just going to drop to their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? No, sorry. It's, chances of that happening are very slim, okay? But did Jesus stop pursuing you the first time you said no? Said no. Did he? <laughs> he didn't stop pursuing me the first time I turned him down. And he's, not, he's never going to stop. He's never going to stop. And it's our job as ambassadors, as new creations, as representatives of a different realm. I'm going to go. Okay. All right. To be continued. What if, what if once, what if, uh, like, what if once a week, you just dropped off some cookies or a cooked meal for the family you know is struggling and asked if you could pray for them. What if, what if once a week, what, what if once a week you just went over there and knocked on the door to ask them how they were doing? It's inconvenient. It's extremely simple. But there has to be a relational connection point. There has to be a connection point where we decide, I'm just not going to give up on this person. I'm just going to keep praying for him. I'm just going to keep trying, just like Jesus did with me and every single one of us. Okay, see you, bud. <laughs> I'm going to end with this, and then I'm going to pray, okay? I was in a, a little church, um, I think it was last, or maybe two weeks, two weeks ago, in a little city. Um, and in this little city... Uh, here in rural America, and well, rural Ohio even, um, in this little city, they told me how, um, come here, bud. They told me how this city of about a thousand people um, sees about two people a week overdose. And they have no idea what to do. They've been wanting to do something, but they have no idea what to do. And so I was able to sit down with a group of about 10 of them afterwards, the, the ex mayor being one of them, the ex-mayor being one of them, and we sat down afterwards and we said, let's just see if, let's just see if we can't hear God right now and see what it is, um, hey buddy, see what it is we feel like God wants to do in this situation, and what happened was this, he's okay for a minute, and then he just runs <laughs> So, 
we're, we're, I'm, I'm closing this out, don't worry. Um, the, the, what happened when I sat down with about 10 of them, and I said, let's just pray right now and, and, and see if we can't hear God and partner together to see what, do you, what it is you feel like he wants to do in this city. And what happened was this. It, it didn't, you know, the ceiling didn't split open and the audible voice of God came. Okay. What happened was I just started by asking. I just said, hey, let's start here. Why don't, is there anyone that already had, has already had some sort of idea to do something in this city? And three people piped up. All three were very similar ideas, all in the same, same kind of idea. And then we prayed together, and then we began asking, okay, where's the building you can do that? Okay, who's committed to doing it? Okay, how do you plan on doing it? And it's, sometimes it's just, it's, it's just the commitment of it. Sometimes it's just the saying of, I'm, I've, been, I've felt like I've had this idea to do something. Let me talk to some more people at church, see if other people want to get involved, and then I'm just going to commit and do it. Because three, God had already been speaking to three people, which they may or may not have even known it was God. But when you get in a room of eight people that want to do something in the city and three people all have pretty much the same idea, I choose to believe that's God. Amen. And, they, and I, I, wanna, I haven't touched base with them. I called the pastor just a couple of days ago just to see how it's coming along, what they're doing and whatnot. I mean, kids in the city as young as 13 are overdosing in a city of 1,000 people in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. You know, it's like... <laughs> intentionality and just and, and look it doesn't mean quit your job and sell everything you own and um, it just means like this many people in this area a commitment to just saying let's partner together i'll pray i'll pray for this block i'll pray for this street i'll be praying for that family i'll be how about we go give them a meal how about we do this it it, it, it doesn't take that much time and energy from each of us to do something but it's the commitment follow through and continuation of it that begins to bring transformation to a city And the power of God this is the last thing I would add to that, okay? You can't find somewhere in here where cities were transformed where the power of God didn't create a ruckus. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see it, and it's, it's not in there. The power of God. If we think we can do this in our own strength or religious zeal, we are defeated before we start. We need Holy Spirit Amen. to do what only He can do. What happens in a city when the worst person who has the worst addiction problem gets transformed and all of a sudden they're on fire for Jesus? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're interested in recovery coaching, please reach out to us, get plugged into a free 20-minute session so we can get you on the road to transformation. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You can start a brand new life starting today. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks for joining us.